Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. My God. Lord, here we are with humbled hearts. Humbled because of the greatness of your love. The magnitude of your mercy. Lord, like Alfonso was sharing, all of us should be dead long ago. Destroyed because we were such despicable creatures in your sight. You loved us. You made us and we rejected you. We spurned you. We turned our backs on you. We sinned against you. We rebelled against your holy law. And yet, for all of that, you have loved us. And Lord, even this day, you're shining upon our path. Even though it be narrow. Even though it takes us through dark places. Through difficult challenges. Your love is always there. Illuminating us. And shining upon us. What is man that you're mindful of him? Who are we, O God, that you have set such love and affection upon us? We're not just another animal, Lord. You made us in your very image and likeness. And it is your burning desire that we would show forth your glory, your character in this world, shining as lights in the darkness, bearing our Maker's sign, as the song says, Lord. God, I pray today, as we look to your Word, this would not be just another sermon, but your Holy Spirit would reach deep down into our hearts, motivate us, challenge us, strengthen us, give us your peace and that assurance that you are with us and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Bless each one here today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, one of my favorite verses, you don't need to turn there, but this was one of the first scriptures God really spoke to me in the very early days after I got saved. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. That is a life-transforming truth. It changes our whole order of life, our priorities. Everything is changed by that one sentence. There are a lot of things that, at least at one time in our lives, were first. Right? Man, on Sundays, football is first. Right? (laughs) Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. Some of you do. You know what was once first in your life. And you know, when something's first, it's not hard to seek after it, is it? If the number one priority in your life is to find a job, man, you will sit up till three in the morning typing resumes. You will hit the streets. You will go for 20 interviews in one single day if you have to. Why? Because it's first. And when something's first, you run after it. You seek after it with passion. Nobody has to be there. Come on, go out. Go out and look for your job. No, it's first on your list. Seek First, the kingdom of God. We're learning about the kingdom on Wednesday nights. 
kingdom of God is the place where God rules, where God reigns, where God governs. And it's not just some place up in heaven with a golden throne and angels flying around it. God wants his kingdom in us. He wants to rule and reign in us. And as we were singing in that song, it's the place where God's will is done. So if you and I want to seek the kingdom of God, what we're really saying is, God, I want to come under your rule. I want to come under your law. I want to come under your government. I want you to have your way in my life. I want your will to be done in me. Now, that's found in Matthew 6.33, if you are interested. But I want to go a little further in Matthew to begin today. Matthew 11, 11. That's easy to remember. Matthew 11, 11. This is Jesus himself talking. He says, I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now just stop for a minute. That is an amazing statement coming from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And he's putting John the Baptist against some pretty great men and women. Moses, Abraham, Elijah, Ruth, Esther, Samuel, Isaiah. A lot of great ones. Many of them, the books of the Bible are named after. They're not mentioned here. There's one greater than all of them up until this time, and his name is John the Baptist. I'm not going to preach on John the Baptist this morning, but that makes for a real interesting study. John the Baptist, the Bible tells us, He was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. That that was his ministry. That's all he did. And you know what the Bible says? He never did one miracle. We think, wow, if I could only do miracles, that would make me great, right? Miracles don't make people great. Character does. This man had character. And his prayer is recorded in John 3. I must decrease so he can increase. Wow. And, you know, John the Baptist had his own disciples. And one day, John is strolling along with his disciples, and he sees Jesus. And he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you know what happened? The Bible says all of John's disciples at that point left him, and they went over and joined Jesus. That's a humble man. Most pastors, you know, they would be grabbing onto those people. Don't go, don't go. I need your tithes, man. Don't join that church. No, his whole ministry was to point people to Jesus. And with all of his greatness, look at the next statement. Yet, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven. You see, something is changing here. If you were with us when we studied dispensations, John is about to close out the dispensation of the Old Testament, the law. And he's ushering in Christ, the messenger of the new covenant. So he's kind of standing right at the dividing line between the old covenant and the new. And this new covenant, which brings in the kingdom of God, Jesus said the tiniest one in the kingdom of God, the least one that is going to receive the grace of Christ through this new covenant is greater than John the Baptist. Now, if the least one in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist, then he's greater than all the others, right? 
Elijah, Moses, Abraham, they didn't have the grace. They didn't have all of the resources offered to them that God is now making available to you and me as the bride of Christ, as the church of the living God. Man, what a privileged people we are. Abraham and David and Isaiah, they, all, they only saw way off in the distance what you and I are now living. The least in the kingdom is greater than he. But look at the next verse. This is a strange scripture, and it's been hard for a lot of people to interpret. And you'll find in a lot of the commentaries, there are a lot of different ideas about what it means. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. The kingdom has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. Can you switch it to the King James for a second? King James uses the word violent and violence. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. And that's actually a little closer to the original Greek language that's used in the New Testament. Let me read to you a couple of other translations. I don't think we have them in the computer here. But here's another one. Uh, The kingdom of heaven, well, we got that, suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. I guess that's the same. But the word suffers violence, it comes from this Greek word, which means a forcer, energetic, or violent. Do you, get, do you get the idea of what this word means? It's not this. Forceful, energetic, violent. Now pay close attention because these are the kind of people that are going to lay hold of the kingdom of God. These are the kind of people that are going to enter, inherit, and possess the kingdom of God. Not these. Now it goes on. They take it by force. It's actually a different form of that same Greek word, and it means to seize, to catch, to pluck, to pull, or to take by force. And you find the same Greek word in a verse that you've often heard me preach on, 1 Thessalonians 4.17, where Paul talks about the rapture. They will be caught up. To meet the Lord in the air. The Greek word is harpazo. They will be snatched from earth in an instant and carried up into the sky to meet Jesus. That's the same word that's used now, not for Jesus, but for you and for me. He's going to come and snatch us in the rapture, but before that, we need to snatch the kingdom. We need to take it with violent, energetic force. Listen to the Amplified Bible. The kingdom of heaven has endured violent assault and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize. A share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with most ardent zeal and intense exertion. Let me repeat that last part. How do they seek the kingdom of God? With most ardent zeal 
an intense exertion. This is an extreme word. God is talking about radical people here that are really serious about God. They're really serious about laying hold of the things of God. They're not just half-heartedly, lukewarmly, you know, haphazardly, well, if God wants to bless me, he will. They're much more like Jacob of old. I will not let you go until you bless me. The violent take the kingdom by force. Look at the same passage, but it's, it's a little different in Luke's gospel. Look at Luke 16, 16. It's easy to remember, right? Matthew eleven eleven. Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is floating into it. Everyone is hoping that God will take them into it. Everyone is forcing his way into it. Now, what do you think of when you hear that word forcing? Huh? Yeah, there's something impeding your progress, right? There might be something blocking you, something in your way, some obstacles, some challenges, and you've got to push through all that. We have obstacles in life. There are challenges, there are walls, there are mountains, there are all kinds of dark things that will come and try to distract us, tell us, you know, you ought to just throw in the towel and quit this Christian thing. You're never going to make it to the end anyway. You might as well stop trying. Discouragements and all sorts of negative things come, and we need to force our way through those things. For what? For the kingdom. For the kingdom. I want us to look at a few examples in the Old Testament and then a few examples in the New Testament of people that exhibit this kind of character. And I want you to see how God loved that quality in them and how he blessed them and how he rewarded them. And hopefully this might inspire us a little bit to get stirred up, to become more ardent and zealous and seek the kingdom with intense exertion. (laughs) You ready? If you're scared, you can leave now. Exodus chapter 32. Moses is up in the mountain, alone with God. His face is shining with glory. He's just there 40 days and nights in the presence of God. He's received the law. He's received the whole revelation of the tabernacle. I mean, Moses is having a tremendous time with God. Unfortunately, while he's up in the mountain with God, the children of Israel are down on the ground and they're messing up big time. (laughs) And they all come to Aaron, and incredibly, Aaron becomes the high priest of Israel. But Aaron's messed up. Do you hear me? We think, oh, I could never be a pastor. I could never be a minister because I'm messed up. Oh, those are the only kind of people God can work with. Messed up people. The people come to Aaron and they say, we need a God to worship. We don't know where Moses is. God might have killed him up there on the mountain. He may never come down. So make us a golden calf. And we can worship that golden calf and say, These are the gods, O Israel, that brought you out of bondage. 
So they bring all their earrings and their gold bracelets to Aaron, and he makes a golden calf for them. Hear me, who made the golden calf? Aaron, the future high priest of Israel. And picking up the story in Exodus 32, starting with verse 25. We'll read from 25 down to 29. This is now when Moses is coming down. His face is shining. He's got the tablets of the law in his hand. Moses saw that the people, these are the people of God. What were they doing? What were they doing? Running wild. Now that would never happen to any of us, would it? They were running wild. And Aaron had let them get out of control. And notice the next part. That all is fun, right? Going nuts, going crazy, getting out of control, and they became a laughing stock to their enemies. That's the problem. When you and I get out of control, when we're no longer willing to let God reign over our lives, we start to make a fool of ourselves, and the devil is the one that's laughing. The devil is laughing. So here they are. They're all acting like crazies. Moses is coming down, and he sees all of this. Next verse. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord. King James I like better. Whoever is on the Lord's side, come over to me. And one tribe only, out of all the tribes of Israel, only one tribe responded to that challenge. It was the tribe of Levi. And all the Levites rallied to him. Okay? Following me? This is very important. Then he said to them, to the Levites, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. This is a strange command here. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. That's extreme. That's radical. That's off the chart. You're telling me, Moses, to go kill my brother because he's not on the Lord's side? Next verse. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about three people, 3,000 of the people died. This is serious stuff, folks. Serious stuff. And it's recorded for a reason in the Bible. One of the things it shows me, like Paul says in Romans 11, we need to behold both the goodness and the severity of God. Yes, God is good. God is merciful. But he's also a severe judge. When his law is violated and when people do extreme things like the children of Israel were doing here, God steps in. And let me tell you something. He gets angry. And God was riled up here. He said, who's on the Lord's side? The Levites come. They are instructed, kill anybody that's not on the Lord's side. 3,000 are killed. That's not where the story ends, though. This affects whole chapters and books of the Bible. When you read them, maybe you'll understand them in a different way after understanding this story. Then Moses said to the Levites, because of this violent extreme spirit that they had, this zeal that they had for the Lord. You have been set apart to the Lord today. For you were against your own sons. Now it mentions sons. Your own sons and brothers. And God is mad at you? God is what? 
He has blessed you this day. Oh, he did more than bless them. As you read further in the Bible, you begin to discover this affected God's heart so much when he saw the zeal, the dedication of these Levites. He says, all right, I've set this tribe apart now to be my ministers. They will be in charge of the whole tabernacle, the worship, teaching, everything. I've entrusted them with the holy things. None of the other tribes of Israel are allowed to touch those things. Only the tribe of Levi because of what they did there at Mount Sinai. Now let me just read a couple of scriptures to you to show you how much this one event changed the whole course of Israel's history, and certainly the history for the tribe of Levi. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 10, and verses 8 and 9. At that time, and if if you read the whole 10th chapter of Deuteronomy, Moses is recounting the experience there at Mount Sinai with the golden calf and all of that. He says, at that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord to minister, and to pronounce blessings in his name, as they still do today. That is why the Levites have no share or inheritance among their brothers. The Lord is their inheritance, as the Lord your God told them. And many other places, we don't have time to look at them all, but time and time again, the Levites are set apart. They're separate from all the rest of Israel just because of the stand they took for the Lord there at Mount Sinai. Now you're saying, well, that's Old Testament. We're not supposed to kill anybody, are we? No. But Jesus said something a little bit similar when he was going around calling his followers. He had crowds following after him, but he turned to the crowds and he said, unless you hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, and your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Now, was he saying to hate them in the way we normally think? No, I don't think so. What he was saying is, compared to your love and devotion to God, anything else would appear to be hatred. In other words, those relationships are all secondary to the number one relationship in your life. That's your relationship with God. Love God supremely. And if there's ever a situation like this, where you have to choose between God And a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter, stand for the Lord. Stand for the Lord. God loved that spirit so much that one whole book of the Bible, Leviticus, you ever wondered why it's called Leviticus? It's a whole book written about the duties, the responsibilities of the Levites. The Leviticus book. Moses and Aaron were Levites. All of the priests were Levites. All of the ministry of the tabernacle belonged only to the Levites because of their zeal for the Lord. And you know, when you come to the book of Numbers, that's called Numbers because in the opening chapters, they take a census of all the tribes. They have to count all those Israelites. They had to count how many there were in Judah, 
how many there were from Dan. But if you read Numbers chapter 1, they're instructed very clearly, don't count Levi. (laughs) I got blessed reading that yesterday. I said, Lord, you've called me, you've separated me to serve me, and I don't even count. (laughs) Don't count them. They don't count. They're, They're different. They've been set apart for a whole different purpose. But later on, God does say count them. And they're counted for a very specific reason. We won't go into all of that this morning. But understand, this one event marked them, and it marked the very heart of God concerning them. It really affected God. Let me tell you something. When you take a stand for the Lord, and you may have to pay a price, people may not like you, your family may turn against you. When you take a stand for the Lord, God takes notice. God takes notice. God first. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, fast forward a little bit, and we read about another man from this same tribe of Levi. He's actually Aaron's grandson. Aaron had a number of sons. Two of his sons were in the priestly ministry, and they screwed around, and they were just playing around with the things of God one day, and God smote them both dead. Nadab and Abihu, they died right there on the spot in the tabernacle. These are Aaron's sons, the high priest's sons. These guys understood they were, they were not playing with Santa Claus. This was a living God, a consuming fire. Now, another one of Aaron's sons, Eleazar, he was a good priest. And he had a son named Phineas. You ever read about Phineas in the Bible? Okay, we're going to look at him now. This is one zealous, violent dude. Numbers chapter 25, starting at verse 1. We're going to read through it quickly. Do you remember the story of Balaam? How Balak, the king of Moab, hired him to prophesy against the children of Israel, and he couldn't do it. Every time he opened his mouth, he prophesied good things about Israel. But Balak finally found a way to destroy the Israelites. It was through sexual immorality. It was through corrupting their morals. And here's where it happens. It says, while Israel was staying in Shittim, the men began to indulge in sexual immorality with Moabite women who invited them to their sacrifices to their gods. The people ate and bowed down before these gods. So Israel joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor, and the Lord said, well, you know, these are modern times. Boys will be boys, right? Come on, pastor, you need to lighten up. This is, you know... This is 2013, man. This Times have changed now. You're old-fashioned. Everybody's doing everything now. Yeah, I know that. But this is the same Lord here who's Lord today because he says, I am the Lord, I change not. And it says, the Lord's anger burned against them. And the Lord said to Moses, this sounds very similar, by the way, to what we just read in Exodus. Take all the leaders of these people and give them a good rebuke. Kill them. What's kill them mean? It means kill them. Kill them and don't even bury them. Expose them in broad daylight before the Lord so that the Lord's fierce anger may turn away from Israel. 
This is serious stuff. Keep going. So Moses said to Israel's judges, Each of you must put to death those of your men who have joined in worshiping the Baal of Peor. So can you imagine the atmosphere in the camp? I mean, these people are trembling with fear. Hopefully, if they didn't have it before, they've got the fear of God now. That's what makes these next few verses so amazing. Then an Israelite man brought to his family a Midianite woman right before the eyes of Moses and the whole assembly of Israel while they were weeping at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He grabs this foreign woman, takes her right into his tent. When Phineas, this is Aaron's grandson, when Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he said, oh, we need to pray for this man. You shouldn't do that. That's bad. Get on the telephone. You know, we need to pray for Brother Smith over here. He's not walking right. Look at the zeal of this man. He left the assembly. He took a spear in his hand and followed the Israelite into his tent. And he drove the spear through both of them, through the man and through the woman, through the Israelite and into the woman's body. Then the plague against the Israelites was stopped. But follow the next few verses. Those who died numbered 24,000. The Lord said to Moses, he's taken notice of this guy. He knows him by name. Phineas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites. And read this next line with me. For he was as zealous as I am for my honor among them, so that in my zeal I did not put an end to them. He was as zealous as I am for my honor. That scripture bothered me all weekend. It still bothers me. I realize I'm not that zealous for the honor of God. Oh, I'll fight for my own name. Oh, boy, I'll get riled up if somebody says something bad about my family. But they can curse God's name and take his name in vain, and I just look the other way. He was as zealous as I am for my honor. Do you see the the parallel between the Levites at Mount Sinai and this one Levite, this one grandson of Aaron? They have something in common. It, it's, it's a sort of a, a holy violence where they don't play around with God. They take the things of God seriously. And they have a, a fire burning within them. They're, they're, they're ardent. They're zealous. They're passionate for the honor of God. And they do extreme things. The violent take the kingdom by force. And forceful men lay hold of it. You know, when I teach pastors and ministers, and I'm not trying to do that this morning, but what a contrast between Phineas and some other priests and sons of priests mentioned in the Bible. I already mentioned two of them, Nadab and Abihu. Aaron's very sons played around with God, smitten dead. Do you remember Eli? The opening chapters of 1 Samuel talk about the priest Eli. All I can ever see him doing is sleeping. He's just always sitting, and he's always sleeping. And you know how he died? He had gotten so fat 
and he was just sitting in his chair. He fell over and he died. My God, help me. I don't want to go home to be with Jesus like that. And Eli's sons, man, they were wicked, wicked, wicked. They were using the ministry as a cover-up for all kinds of immorality and greed. It was detestable in God's sight. And God finally showed up and said, Eli and this family forever cursed and forever disqualified from the priesthood. Look at the contrast here. This guy has gotten my attention. He was as zealous as I am for my honor. And now notice what God promises Phineas. Therefore, tell him I am making my covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood because, note the word because, because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. Wow. In both cases, there's a connection between their zeal for God and God's response in giving them ministry responsibility in his kingdom. It's not that different today. God is looking for men and women, not who are going to pull out a sword and kill people, but God is looking for men and women that are going to, with zeal, with force, with energy, with exertion, they're going to run after God. They're going to seek after God, and they're going to make his kingdom first in their lives. All right, now, quickly, let's look at a couple of New Testament examples, and let's see if we can see this same spirit in people who were following Jesus. Go first to Luke chapter 19. Remember the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a very short man. (laughs) Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was chief tax collector and was wealthy. This is a big man in one sense, but he's got another limitation. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he said, oh, well, maybe another time I'll go home. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm amazed at how quickly and how easily I get discouraged. Do I, do I have any friends, anybody dare put their hand up and join me here today? I mean, just one little thing. Oh, that's it. I quit. I'm too short. I'll never see Jesus. This kingdom thing isn't for me. I tried to see him. I can't see him. That's, that's it. Let the tall people see him. You're going to notice something in all of these examples. There's a common thread. All of these people would not take no for an answer. They would not take no for an answer. That's the kind of spirit I think Jesus was talking about when he, <coughs> when he said, violent men lay hold of it by force. What does Zacchaeus do? He ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree. I mean, can you see this? Can you see this short little man running, 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 finds a tree, runs up into the tree, gets ahead of the whole crowd. He says, I am not taking no for an answer. I got to find Jesus. I've got to find Jesus in my life. So here he is, sitting up in top of the tree, waiting for Jesus to come. Okay? When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus. How does he know this man's name? Hello? 
How does he know to single this one man out of the whole crowd? It's the only person I can see that he named in that crowd. Why did this one man attract such attention from the Lord of glory? Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I'm changing my whole parade. I'm changing my whole program because...